Thank you. So the police are here, just so you know. So those who are not prepared to fight this battle, you may leave now. <laughs> Put your mask on. No, I'm kidding. Anyways. <laughs> just kidding. So uh, before I get started, I'm carrying around this uh, baby formula here. So for those of you who don't know, we, um, we made a commitment to the Okanagan Valley Pregnancy Care Center. Um, so for this year, we're, we're supporting them financially on a monthly basis. But as well, what we're doing is once a month, we're going to phone, connect with them, find out what they need, and then we're going to try and supply that for them. So if you don't know the pregnancy center here in town, what they do is um, they do counseling for, for women who are pregnant in crisis, um, women who might be considering abortion. And if a woman decides not to abort her baby, then they make a two-year commitment to supply that child and the mother. So that's two years. Okay? Yeah. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. It's not just, oh, you know, have your baby, here's a basket, goodbye. But it's two years worth. So it's formula, it's diapers, it's, you know, clothes, it's everything. And so we got a letter actually at the end of December and I talked with a lady and she was quite discouraged because one of the things she said is, you know, we sent out, I think she said 140 letters to the churches in Kelowna and they got a response of, from four churches. That's it. And now, uh, yeah, uh, and they're closed. <laughs> so, you know, I know we can't do everything, but we are going to do our level best to um, meet the need uh, during this season. So I want 50 of these by next week. So at minimum 50. So there was, you know, 100 people here last night. I told them the same thing. So if, you know... If we could, so this is what they're in need of this month. And next month it might be diapers. So this is Enfamil, it's the yellow can. Um, if you can drop it off, drop as many as you can off at the studio upstairs during the week. We're open from basically 10 to 5, Tuesday through Friday. So drop it off or bring it next Saturday or next Sunday. And we just want to take it all to them and bless them, give them some money. If you want to make a separate financial contribution to them, um, you can do that as well. But that's what we're doing. That's just one of the things that we're doing. And so that's what they need this month. Okay? So 50 minimum. I'm going to count them. Amen. So how many of you are new here? Okay. Welcome, welcome. How many of you have not heard me speak before? Okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> um, when we lived in Kitimat, I was... I was Whenever I would preach, the people would say they, sh they should have been pre-warned to put their diapers on because I'm, I'm not necessarily um, nice all the time. And it's not that I don't like people, but I feel like we're in a state and in a day when there's an urgency in the spirit. And so I'm not into fluffy sermons. I'm not into patting you on the back. So I'm going to preach what the Lord showed me, and um, I just pray that you can receive it. So I pray that your ears are open to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Amen? So as I was con contemplating what to pray, it, uh, Wednesday mornings we have the Canadian firewall, and so I was on there and just sort of listening in while I was doing my workout. And Dean Briggs, who is a friend of ours, he lives in the U.S., he's an um, amazing man, he shared a dream that a friend of his had. So it wasn't Dean's dream, but it was a friend's dream. And the dream was very short, and in this dream... Um, there were two ministers, two men of God talking, and one of them leaned over to the other one and whispered in his ear. And what he whispered was this. The times and seasons of the Lord are not for the faint of heart. And then the dream was done. And when I heard this, 
uh, it, it, it arrested my spirit a little bit. And I thought, wow, the times and seasons of the Lord are not for the faint of heart. And so as I was meditating and praying, I felt the Lord um, tell me to preach on that. Not for the faint of heart. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like maybe this is where we're at. I feel like maybe we're in a season that is not for the faint of heart. And so that line kept going over and over in my head. And so I'm a person, I like to know, when somebody says something, I want to know what it really means. Do you know what I mean? I like to, to research and look up definitions and all that kind of thing. So I looked up the term, you can Google it, not for the faint of heart. So I just Google it. What does not for the faint of heart mean? And so I was intrigued by the definition. So I took that definition and I put it into the words of the dream. And so this is what it turns out to say. The times and seasons of the Lord can be extreme or very unusual and are not suitable for people who like only safe and familiar things. I was like, wow, right? The times and seasons of the Lord can be extreme or very unusual and are not suitable for people who like only safe and familiar things. How many of you would agree that we are in extreme times? Right? How many of you would agree that we are in very unusual times? Okay, so if this is true... If the times and seasons of the Lord are not for the faint of heart, then that dream was for us today, for you and I, for the Church of Canada, for the churches of the world. We are in unprecedented times. And so it's going to take some unprecedented uh, thoughts, ideas, and shifting of our mind if we're not going to be people who are faint of heart. Because I don't know you, about you, I like to feel safe. I like things that are familiar, but the times and seasons of the Lord are not for that. I don't believe that God is surprised by COVID, okay? I don't think he's, he's you know, sitting in heaven going, oh my goodness, I did not see this one coming. okay. He, you know, the, the political uh, status of the world, he's not shocked. Some of us were shocked who got the presidency, but God was not shocked. So if that's true, and if he knew that the political structure would be what it is, if he knew that COVID would be what it is, then is it possible that he also knew that when he created you and I, he knew that you and I would be alive in this day and in this time? Right? He, I wasn't born in the 1600s. I was born, I'm going to tell you when I was born, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I have a birthday coming up. Anyways, <laughs> But I was born to be alive today, in 2020, 2021. And he knew COVID was coming in 2020 and 2021. So if he knew it was coming and he knew I was going to be alive, then there's a purpose for me in this time and season. And if that's true about me, guess what? It's true about you. And so... I can get that much, and I understand that, but sometimes, you know, we have to sort of talk to ourselves and convince ourselves of things that we know to be true. And so what I want to preach on tonight is, this morning, sorry, you know, we're doing this two-service thing, and it throws me off because I'm not used to preaching back-to-back, -back, but whatever, I'm doing my thing. Anyways, so... So I started to think about this, and okay, God, what does this mean, and what can I share, and, and what does this mean not for the faint of heart? And I started thinking about, you know, heroes of, of the faith and, and people in the Bible. I love the Word of God, and I love to read the Old Testament because 
whenever I'm not sure, I can always find a story in the Old Testament that helps me to do what God's called me to do today. And it reminds me. So I was looking through the Old Testament and I was, I was looking at people who have stood for God. But while I was doing that, it was funny because, you know, I was thinking, God, what what have you, call, like, why, why are, why is, you know, arts out dealing with the police, and we, we just want to worship Jesus, you know, we just want to have choich, you know, that's what my cousin called choich, we going to choich, you know, and that's all I want, I just want to have choich, you know, but, so, but why do we have to deal with this, why do we have to deal with the police and all this craziness, anyways, and, you know, so you get into this place sometimes, and you feel like, God, I can't do this. And then my mom, ah, my mother, she was the queen of sayings. If there was a situation, she had a quote for you, okay? And so her little voice came back. And this is what she used to say to me all the time. Used to drive me crazy. Um, she always used to say, Heather, what has been done by man can be done. And it didn't matter what I was doing. You know, I'd go to school and, you know, I'd be doing, Mom, I can't do my math. Heather, what has been done by man can be done. You know, I used to figure skate. And, you know, so, you know, you're trying to do your jumps and I couldn't land a jump. Heather, what has been done by man can be done. And it used to drive me crazy. It's like, okay, I get it. But I didn't get it. But now I get it. <laughs> See, if... If someone, if there's a human being on the earth that has accomplished something and you want to accomplish that, if they've accomplished it, you can too. It might take you a little longer. It might be more difficult for you. But what has been done by man can be done. And so I started thinking about that in context of the heroes of the faith. And so I started looking at the Daniels and the Noahs and the Jonas and all of these people. And I started looking at their lives. And, you know, we read their stories and we say, oh, this person was so amazing and he was so great. And, you know, he accomplished so much. But I like to go to the beginning of the story before they became who they became to see how they got there. Because I feel there's a story forming here. There's a story of your life forming. And you may not see the end of the story yet. But there are some things that you might have to get through to get there. And so I started considering the pathways. And this is what I feel. The pathway to success in the call of God always leads us through opposition every story I've not read one story in the Bible and I've read it many times cover to cover where there was not some form of opposition that that person didn't have to go through and we are in a day of opposition so we're going to look at some of these some of history's heroes not all of them but Noah he had to suffer ridicule to gain his destiny Abram had to leave everything he had behind Sarah had to believe an impossible promise. Jacob, he was cheated and lied to. He also cheated and lied, but that's not the point. That's another sermon, okay? Joseph, he was betrayed by his family, the ones he loved, right? Joshua was asked to fight without any weapons. Hello. Gideon had to overcome an identity crisis. Before he could become who he was supposed to be. David, he had to run for his life. Nehemiah had to build in the face of attack. Constant attack and badgering, right? Daniel had to defy the law of the land. Sounds familiar, right? Hannah had to contend with God for her promise. God was her opposition with Hannah. I love that. That's a whole nother sermon. But it says God closed Hannah's womb. Twice it says that. But Hannah contended with God, and he relented, and he blessed her. So sometimes the opposition isn't always the devil. Sometimes it's actually God, because he wants to see what's in you. He wants to see how badly you want it. Anyways, another sermon. Like I said, we're not going there today. So we're going to look at a couple. I'm, I'm going to whip through this fast, because the police, like I said, are here, and they're not really happy. So... Strap yourselves in, because here we go. 
So Noah, I want to look at Noah for a minute. So here's Noah. We're just going to read a bit of uh, the beginning. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So he's righteous, he's blameless, and he's faithful. I can't make that claim 100%. I don't know about you. Okay, but he was a good man, basically, right? Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of Cyprus. Okay, so here you are. You've been faithful. You've been righteous. You've done everything right. And God says, dude, I'm going to destroy your whole world. Not just his town or his city or his village. The whole earth. Think about that for a minute. Just think about that. You're going to be the only one left on the earth, you and your kids. That's it. This is what he gets for being righteous and faithful and blameless. You get to be alone. Can you just imagine what he, had, what he felt and what he was feeling at that time? And then God says, I want you to build an ark. If that were me, I'd be like, what the heck is an ark? Because they didn't, he didn't know what an ark was. They didn't have arks. They didn't have boats. They didn't need boats because there was no rain and, and rivers and waters. The ground, the ground nourished itself from underneath. So now he's told, you're going to be alone by yourself, and I want you to build something that's absolutely ridiculous that you don't know what it is. And this is how I want you to do it. So he's faithful. So he starts to build. Can you imagine just for a moment the ridicule and the questions? You know, we have people asking us, why are you still doing church when Bonnie Henry said not to do church? Well, I can explain that. But can you imagine, what are you building, Noah? I have no idea. <laughs> right? How? How do you explain something you don't even know what it is? But this was what he had to stand up against. He had to stand up against ridicule. He had to stand up against not even knowing what God was asking, fully having an understanding of what God was asking him to do. God said he's going to send rain. Noah didn't know what rain was. We know what rain was, but he didn't know. And sometimes in our life, God asks us to do things that seem ridiculous, that don't make sense. We always want, I'm one of those people, I like to analyze, you know, put it all in a box, shake it up, see how it falls. You know what I mean? I, that's, how, that's how my brain works. But there's so many times where God says, Heather, I just want you to do it. I'm like, God, that doesn't make sense. He said, I didn't say it was going to make sense. I just want you to do it. Will you be faithful? Will you allow the ridicule and the uncertainty to, to block you? to oppose you enough that you won't do what you're called to do. I pray that God will cause us to be people who are not afraid to do the ridiculous because we truly are in a time and a season that is not for the faint of heart. So will you build your ark regardless? Let's move on. Abram, I like this one. Abram was Abraham. Before he was Abraham. Yes, that's how it was. So, so here's Abram. Let's read, let's read this little story. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will bless your great name and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. I call that down all the time. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. Abraham's opposition was the fact that he had to leave everything he knew and loved. Leave your country, leave your people, 
leave your family. The things that were secure to him, the things that were familiar to him, the things that he understood and knew, God says, I'm taking you out of that place and I'm putting you somewhere else and I will bless you. But again, you know, we read the story and it's like, oh yeah, it's all good because he's going to be blessed. But again, it took faith for him because at that moment when God told him to leave, he wasn't blessed yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he had, so the things, the things of life that make us comfortable, the things that we hold on to. You know, God asked Art and I to move from Kinemat to here. And we had this beautiful home. We had this million dollar house that Art built and, you know, two and a half acres. And we had, we had the quads and the snowmobiles. And, you know, he had a shop that was bigger than most people's homes, you know. And, and we had family and friends and the dogs and the cats. And, and life was good. Life was great. He had the business and all was well. And God said, I want you to leave it all, sell it all, and I want you to move to Kelowna. And I said, I don't want to move to Kelowna. I don't really like Kelowna. Now, don't be offended. Kelowna is a beautiful city, but I'm not a city girl. I would prefer to be in sweatpants and a hoodie and on my quad right now. I actually like the snow. Kinemat is the land of snow. We play in the snow. We go up the mountains in the snow. I don't get to do that here. I don't like traffic. Kinemat, you could lap the whole city in five minutes. Twice, if you're fast. <laughs> but here, I have to plan a half an hour ahead just to get to the grocery store on time. But God said, I want you to leave what's comfortable. I want you to leave your friends of 15, 20 years. I want you to leave some of your family behind. Art has left his family behind. And I want you to go to a different place because I have something for you. And so my struggle in my heart, the thing that was opposing me, was the comforts and the things that were familiar to me. And I had to make a choice. Am I going to be obedient to God? And am I going to do what he's telling me to do? Or am I going to hang on to the things that I know and love? And here I am. So you know the choice I made. But what about you? What about your comfy house? What about your comfy home? What about your comfy bed and your comfy pillow? And the things that are familiar and the people that you lean on. What's God asking you to do? Where is he telling you to go? I believe God is strategically moving people in this day and age. And he's calling people from all over the place. And even in this city, there's faces here that I don't know. And I know some of you are, some of you are here just to support us, and I appreciate that. Some of you are here just as looky-loos, and that's okay too. But some of you, God is calling you here to stand with us. But it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you something. I love the fact that he says here that Abram was 75 years old. We have people in that age bracket in this church. And I'm here to tell you, hi, Will. <laughs> Last night we had a woman here. It was her birthday. She was 86. 86 years old. But it doesn't matter how old you are. This is not a battle just for the young. This is not a battle just for the kids. You know, my mom, oh, leave that to the young people. I've done my thing. You know what I mean? That's not what, we need everybody. We need all age groups. We need everybody supporting and loving and, and, and holding on and, and encouraging one another. So it doesn't matter how old you are. Sometimes God, I know Will and Larcy moved here from their comfy home in Phoenix a couple years ago. They shared their testimony. God told them, I want you to move to Kelowna. We weren't even here yet. So they came and they said, God, why are we here? And God said, just wait. Just come and wait, right? So they came and they waited. And now they're integral to us. They support us. They love us. So you don't know. What God's calling you to do, and I don't care how old you are, but God has something for you. Let's look at the next one, Jacob. Now, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob's funny. I love Jacob. He was like, he was like just, yeah, something about him I like. Just that, I like the dark side of Jacob. Anyways. But anyway, so before Jacob became the father of many nations, uh, we're going to look at the part of the story where he goes and he works for his uncle, and he meets the woman that he wants to marry, 
okay? So Laban, his uncle, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. <laughs> well, y'all can decide what she looked like just from that definition. But anyways, it said, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww, isn't that sweet? Husbands, would you work seven years for your wives? <laughs> Most of them are like, not if I knew what I knew now, right? <laughs> right? Anyways, so he works seven years, and then, then Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete. I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a big feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah. Now, this is the weak-eyed one. Okay. And brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. So... Again, whole nother sermon. How did he not know which woman he was making love to? But anyways, <laughs> some things, you know, you know, I have a list of questions that I want to ask people when I get to heaven. That one's on my list. Like, seriously, dude? Dude, really? Anyways. So, so here he is. He's working for his uncle, who's his family. <clears throat> Somebody you would think he could trust. He works for seven years, and then the guy cheats him. What did Jacob do? Do you know the rest of the story? He worked another seven years to get the woman he loved. Most of us, if our family treated us that way, we would be mad. I'm not talking to him anymore. I have nothing to do with them. They're not coming over for Thanksgiving. We would be so upset we harbor unforgiveness, we'd be bitter, we'd be gossiping, we'd be angry because we've been cheated. And actually, I know there's people in this room who are in that place. And I want to challenge you today because that is your opposition. What are you going to do when somebody cheats you? What are you going to do when your boss doesn't pay you what they said they were going to pay? What are you going to do when your neighbor reports on you that, you know, you've done something you shouldn't do? That happened to us this week. We had the bylaws at our house wanting to get into our house because Art erected this temporary shelter and they made up all these allegations. And anyways, I told them to talk to my lawyer. But what are you going to do? And we don't know which neighbor, so I'm kind of gunning for many. No, <laughs> kidding. I'm not. But seriously, what are we going to do? Are we going to get angry and bitter and upset? Because I'll tell you something. If you're in that place with friends, families, boss, that is your opposition. And you will not do what you're supposed to do. You will not complete the destiny that God has called you to until you can let that go. Until you can walk in forgiveness. And you, if you need to phone somebody after this sermon, if you need to call somebody, if you need to go to talk to somebody and let it go. What did Jacob do? He said to Laban, okay, I'll work another seven years, 14 years to get one thing that he wanted. How much are you willing to work? You know what? We're a lazy society. We are a lazy society. We'll work a little bit, then we want to get comfortable. Those times are changing, you guys. God is looking for people that'll persist, that'll work and do what they have to do until they get what they came for. That's what God is looking for in all of us. He's asking you, will you overcome the opposition? Will you overcome the hurdle of people in your life that haven't been fair to you and kind to you and nice to you so that you can get what you came for? We have to be a people who will do what we need to do to get what we came for. This is not a day and age for people who are faint of heart. Let's look at another one. So here's Gideon. I love Gideon. I love the story of Gideon. He's the one who, you know, went to battle with 300 men. 
and succeeded again. But who was Gideon before he was that warrior? So let's read. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love this. Gideon and his, you know, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites to the point that they have no food. Every time they'd grow wheat, the Midianites would come and just take it all and, and walk all over their crops and destroy everything. And so the whole, the whole landscape of what's going on in his life is negative. And he's grown up in this. And yet he's heard stories that God had redeemed his people in the past. But in his own experience, he's not seen anything yet. And so here he is threshing wheat in a wine press because he's hiding. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, calls him a mighty warrior. He's not done anything. How is he a mighty warrior? And I love his response. He starts to argue with this angel. The Lord turned to him and said, go in, strength you, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And he says, uh, excuse me, <laughs> but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. Gideon had to overcome an identity crisis to become the person that he was on the other end. His opposition was right here. It was who he perceived himself to be. Who he thought he was, not what God thought he was. And see, sometimes, and a lot of us are in this place. I've talked to people. I know I'm supposed to be this. I know I'm supposed to be a witness. I know I'm supposed to, you know, raise the dead. I know I'm supposed to prophesy, but I get nervous and I get scared and I, I don't know what to do and I don't understand. And the whole battle the whole opposition is right here. And sometimes we believe more in what we think of ourselves than what God does. Because God called him a mighty warrior. What has God called you? What, how does he see you? Have you asked God, how do you see me? Because I can guarantee you, he doesn't see you the way you see you. He doesn't see you the way your friends see you. There are mighty warriors in this place, and you're walking around with this, this um, depressed, uh, dejected, confused uh, insecurity that God wants to break off of you, because this is not a season for those who are faint of heart. You have to understand who you are, and God made you exactly the way he made you because he wanted you to be that way. If you read in the Psalms, it says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see someone that's fearfully and wonderfully made? Or are you looking at all your flaws? You know, we, in our women's group on Wednesday, we were talking about this, and I said, I got one of those um, makeup mirrors that are 10 times the magnification. Whoa, not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think you're looking good, and then you flip the mirror, and it's like, oh, my goodness, right? You see every little, yeah, not smart. But anyways, but that's how we do. We magnify the negative in our own mind rather than listen to what God says. And I believe God wants to break that off of you this morning. I believe that God wants to release some of you this morning from your own mindset of who you perceive you are because that's your opposition. That's the thing that you have to get through. And I love Gideon because he finally, and I mean, we, we don't have time to go on the whole story, but finally he gets to the point and he says, okay, I'm going to do this. And he challenged God. He says, well, you know, he threw the fleece down to make this wet and then make this dry. And, you know, because he still wasn't sure. He was still struggling with that insecurity but it's okay to struggle with the insecurity as long as you get past it 
And it says, if you read down further in the story, it says that when Gideon went out, it says the spirit of the Lord came on him. And that's when he rallied the troops. And that's when he accomplished what he was called to do. But he had to get past his opposition of his own identity crisis. This is not a season for those who are faint of heart. What's your opposition? We're just going to look at one more. Daniel. We all know about Daniel in the lion's den and how the end of the story ends when he comes out. But what about before he went in? It says, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king. Make King Darius live forever, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors had all agreed that their king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So here's Daniel. He's working for the government at this time. He's, you know, he's one of the high ups there and the king makes a decree and says you cannot pray to anybody but me for the next 30 days so king darius puts the decree in writing now when daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards jerusalem three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to god just as he had done before So what's the modern version of the story? The churches of Canada can worship, but then a decree is made, a demonic decree from the pit of hell as far as I'm concerned, that the churches need to shut down. For him, it was 30 days. For us, it was supposed to be two weeks, and then it's been another two weeks, and then another four weeks. So what do we do? We do just what we had done before. Because that's what Daniel did. So we had church before. Guess what? We haven't church. <laughs> we had prayer meeting before. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to pray. Right? We had groups of Bible studies before. Guess what Bible? Guess what we're going we're to study the Bible. We're going to do what Daniel did. We're going to do just as we had done before in the face of opposition. This is where we're at. These are the times and the seasons of the Lord that we are in. And this is the call. This is how we're supposed to proceed. You know, we have people asking, why won't you shut down? Because I don't see anywhere in the word where it says I'm supposed to. If you can show me a scripture that says shut down, I'll shut down. But I don't see, I haven't seen it. But what I do see in history is people pushing through the opposition and becoming heroes. And I dare say that that is where we're at. That's the season that we're in. So my question is, what do you have to overcome to fulfill your destiny? Do you have to do something ridiculous like Noah? Do you have, are you called to leave the comfort and familiar like Abram? Are you to persist and not quit until you get what you came for like Jacob? Do you need to get over yourself and take up the challenge like Gideon? Do you need to stand by your convictions no matter the cost like Daniel? This is where we're at, people. What's your opposition? Your opposition is different than my opposition, and we have an opposition as a group. And there's things that I have to overcome every day. What do you have to overcome? So I want to I give you keys. We've, we, we've seen what the problem is. We understand that there's opposition. We've seen those who've gone, but who's gone before. But how do we get there? How do you and I, how do we write our story? Because that's what we're doing. We're writing our story. Here's the first thing you have to do. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. What's the key word here? 
I had three answers. How many would say the keyword is strengthen? How many would say it's in the Lord? How many would say it's yourself? Yeah, you were here last night. <laughs> so were you. You guys, the key word here is yourself. It's not about me. You know, part of the, the issue that I have with the Church of Canada, and when I say that, I'm talking partly about, about us too as, as leaders of a church. But part of the problem is that we've allowed people to strengthen themselves through us. Hi, Gimli. This is my guard dog, so step back, okay? He will lick you. But how... How can, how can pastors, how can leaders effectively strengthen you? Well, we can preach a good sermon and we can encourage you. But actually, the call is that you do it yourself. And for too long, the church has relied on the pastor. You don't read your Bible during the week. You don't listen to worship during the week. You don't seek out uh, Bible studies during the week. And so you come to church on a Sunday morning and you sit there and you expect to get everything you need so that you can go through the next week. And then you wonder why you're weak. You wonder why you're ineffective. And the church has been ineffective. That's the indictment that we're carrying right now and it's legit. The church has been effective on this culture partly because we've not done what the, Lord, what the word has told us to do and we've not strengthened ourselves. Every day I have to strengthen myself because what carries me today is not going to carry me tomorrow. I need fresh bread. I need to be in my word every day. I need to talk to God every day. I need to spend time with the Lord every day. I need to commune with him all the time. Because that's where my strength comes from. I have people say that to me all the time. Oh, Heather, you're just so strong and you're so courageous. I'm actually not. I'm not. But see, courage isn't a lack of fear. Courage is pushing through the fear and doing what you have to do regardless. And the only way you can do that is if you strengthen yourself in the Lord. And too long, the church has jumped on our back. And I, I shared this example last night. I know, I didn't, you know, some of you can probably relate, but I grew up with a brother and, you know, we used to play and fight. And every once in a while, you know, we'd have this fight and I'd walk away and then he'd run and he'd jump on my back when I didn't realize he was coming. And it's like, you know, it kind of, it hurts, right? Because you're not expecting it. And as leaders sometimes, that's how I feel, to be honest. I feel like people, people come to the church and they just want to jump on my back. It's like, where are you going? Okay, well, I'm going to get on your back and you can walk me through. But you know what? That's not what you're called to do. Hebrews 12, 12 says this, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. I have to strengthen mine. But you have to strengthen yours. I'm not called to carry you. I'm called to encourage you. I'm called to pray for you. I'm called to give you a word if God tells me to. But I'm not called to carry you. And right now in this season that we're in, I can't. Truth is, I don't want to. Straight up. I want you to carry yourself. I want you to strengthen yourself. I want you to stand for yourself. I want you to have a tenacity in your spirit so that when you're confronted and when the world comes at you and when you're opposed, you can handle it because I'm not always going to be standing by your side. What are you going to do when you walk out here and you face the RCMP or you face people who are ridiculing you? I heard you go to that Harvest Church, don't you know? What are you going to do when you get the hate mail? Are you going to cry and cower in a corner? You better strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's one thing to say, oh, I don't, hate mail doesn't bother me, until you get some. And we've had some. And I have to go before the Lord. Because the dark side of me wants to get my gun. <laughs> I have a permit. It's legal. <sighs> I have a license to carry restricted weapons. But that's what I'd like to do. 
but instead I have to go to the Lord instead of my gun cabinet. Right? Colossians 2, 7 says this, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue to. That's ongoing. So yesterday's doesn't count for today. Rooted and built up in him. Build yourself up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. That sounds like work. To be rooted and built up and strengthened. But it is work. We are in a battle. This is how you sharpen your sword. Colossians 1, 9 to 11 says this. We continually, I said this last night, this is what I pray for the church. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Too many people look to the pastor. What's the Lord saying, pastor? Well, what he's saying to me may not be what he's saying to you right now. So you find out what he's saying. So I pray that God fills you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I know that my life is pleasing God right now because of the call that he's put on me. But what about you? Is God pleased with you? I don't know if he is. I'm not saying he's not. But it says that we can know so that we can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience. The times and seasons we are in are not for the faint of heart. If you don't strengthen yourself, if you don't do what you need to do, you're not going to cut it in this season. You know what? I see destiny in this room. I see destiny in people's faces. I see callings. I see mantles. They're everywhere in the spirit. But just because it's there doesn't mean that it's going to happen. We have to do the work. We have to push past. We have to be okay to be opposed. Number two, and this is the last thing. I got the thumbs up. I think the police are gone. Woohoo. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, but we did get another ticket back there. Another 2300 All right. Yeah. That's $6,900 because we have a church. Anyways, okay, number two, surround yourself with like minds. This is a key. This is the other key I want to give you. Strengthen yourself, but number two, surround yourself with like minds. I said this last night. You cannot expect to soar with eagles if you hang out with a bunch of turkeys all the time. Okay? You can't. You have to surround yourself with like minds. And I want to look at the story of Jehu quickly here because I love this. And again, Jehu, he's the guy who took Jezebel down, and we always hear about that, and we always applaud him. But who was Jehu before he took Jezebel down? And I want to look at this because it applies to this key. It says this, The prophet Elijah summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck tuck your cloak into your belt, Take this flask of olive oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel, then open the door and run. Don't delay. (laughs) Right? I know. Again, question. Why did he have to run right away? You know, it's like God puts these little things in the Bible. I'm like, I don't get that. Anyways, so the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us, asked Jehu, 
for you, commander, he replied. So who was Jehu hanging out with? <laughs> was he though? Look at, look at this. See, actually, that's not what it was. Jehu was hanging out with like minds. It says they were all officers, all of them. And, and so when, when the prophet comes in and he says, I have a message for you, commander, why did Jehu ask which one of us? Because they were all commanders. Do you see that? They were all officers. They were all of the same rank. They were all commanders. So when he says, I, want, I have a message for you, commander, he said, well, which one? I believe that any one of them could have done what Jehu asked, was asked to do. God chose him, though. Why? I don't know. But that's what I see in the scripture. That's how I read this. Which one of us? For you, commander, he replied. So Jehu gets up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of... I can't say that name, Basha, whoever. Anyways, as for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. He did what he was supposed to do, right? So then, this is the next thing. It says, when Jehu went out to his fellow, so he goes out, the prophet anoints him, he goes back to his fellow, office, fellow officers, right? I have to take my gum out. One of them asked, is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? <laughs> well, I don't know. He says, you know that man, the sort of things he says, Jehu replied. He says, that's not true. Tell us. Jehu said, here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. And I love this. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So here's a group of guys, here's a company of officers. They're all trained. They're all skilled. They're all equal. They have a trust. They know they have each other's backs. And the prophet comes and anoints Jehu, and the first thing they do is they're behind him, just like that. There's no bickering. There's no jealousy. Well, how come he gets to be king? Don't he know that I did the thing last week? Who's this prophet anyway? How does he get to decide? Why didn't he pick me? I'm better looking. I got more Bible college. I'm more skilled. You didn't hear that. It says right away. It says quickly. They took their cloaks and they were like, dude, let's do this. They were right there with him. They were right behind him. There was no jostling for position. There was no, you know, trying to elbow their way in and show off and, you know, do that testrony thing, testrony thing that guys do and, you know, uh, <laughs> flap their wings and, you know. There was none of that. They were right there. Is that a word? <laughs> Test, testosterone or whatever. <laughs> 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 it's a new word of the day. Write that down. <laughs> but do you, do you see the beauty of this? I love reading that. And I, I, dream, I dream of that company. I dream of that, that company of people that we can become that. That we can be, we can all be strengthened in the Lord. That we can all be skilled in what we're called to do. That we can all sit together and eat together and stand together for righteousness. And if somebody's elevated, if somebody is put in the front, it's okay. I believe the Spirit of God is grieved. 
because there's been so much jostling for position and jealousy in the church and it breaks the heart of God because he's calling us as a company somebody has to lead the way and if he's called you then lead but if he hasn't then get behind and push it's a new day people this is not a season for the faint of heart we're looking to you. You know, we have so many people that are coming and saying, you know, thank you for pushing. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And we're looking to you. But truth of the matter is, I need you. We need you. This church, this leadership, Art and I, we need you. Because Jehu didn't do it alone. When he wrote out, his officers were with him. His family was with him. The people he trusted were with him. They stood behind him. And there's been too many times when people have said, I have your back. But then when you turn around, when the fight gets hard and they're gone. This is not the time for that anymore. We can't have that anymore. God is saying, strengthen yourself. Stand up. Figure out who you are. And fight the fight that's before you. Forget who's in charge. I said this last night and Art agreed with me. You know what? If some of you want to take what we're taking, if you want to if you want to go, you know, people are like, well, how come y'all get to be in the media? I don't like the media. I don't even watch the news. I have people say to me, hey, I saw your interview. Oh, okay. And I keep going playing my game. I don't, I don't want to see myself on TV because the TV adds 10 pounds, you know. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Larcy understands. Yeah, she does. But seriously, if God calls you to the front, I'm, I'm behind you. As a matter of fact, when we moved here, we thought we were coming to serve another man. And that's why we came. Breakthrough Church was here. We felt God saying, go. And I knew, I said, I, I remember saying to, to, to the pastor then, I said, I'm here to be the wind beneath your wings. That's what I want it to be. And then they stepped away. Will you be the wind beneath somebody else's wings? If God's called you to be that, will you be okay with that? Because God's looking for a company of people. That'll stand and say, you know what, Bonnie Henry, we're going to have church. We're going to keep our doors open because there's people that need us. And we're going to do what we need to do. And if I lose my job, I talked to somebody today, this morning. She said, you know, I'm waiting until they say to me, if you go to that church, you're going to lose your job. She said, because I'm choosing church. I don't know what your opposition's going to look like, but it's here, and you need to know that it's here. I want to finish with this one thing. This is what I believe the Lord is saying. It's our turn. Noah did his. Abram did his. Joshua did his. Gideon did his. Nehemiah did his. Hannah did hers. Now it's our turn. It's our turn to write our story. It's our turn to face our opposition. It's our turn to push through and become who we're supposed to be. I love this verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses are those people. They're coming in? Okay, hold on. I'm going to keep going. We're almost done. We might need you to throw your masks on quickly if you have them. So just get them out. There are some masks at the back if people want. Right, Nicole? So it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. <laughs> oh, y'all look so cute. <laughs> It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus and the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
What's hindering you? What's holding you back? Is it sin? It says, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders so that we can do and be what God has called us to do and be. I think we're done here. I want to pray. Well, you can give me one. I'll hang it off my ear. (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to pray for you this morning. A company of believers that are not faint of heart. Father, I thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Father, I thank you that each and every one of us, when you saw us, you put into us what made you happy, what pleased you. Father, I thank you that you've anointed these people for the kingdom and for the call. And Father, this morning, I pray that we would go out from here challenged and that we would look for the things that are hindering us. We would look for the oppositions that are in us. And whether it's the enemy or whether it's you, Father, would you give us a tenacity of spirit to to war against those things, to adjust our lives if need be. Father, to adjust our mindsets if we have to. Father, I pray that you would just release a spirit of of the warrior over this, this company of people. I pray that you would give direction, that you would give wisdom, and that you would give understanding about the time and the seasons that we're in. And Father, may you knit our hearts together in this season where we're being persecuted and we're being called to fight. Father, we know that nothing can be accomplished without your grace and without your direction. So we ask that you would lead us each and every day. And I thank you, God, for the cloud of witnesses that are encouraging us on. In Jesus' name.